name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So this is a, a very beautiful passage that we reflect on today. If, if you notice that this whole passage is about the beginning of the disciples' walk with God, okay? And I always wondered, what did it for the disciples? You know, when I was younger, I would read in gospel passages how Jesus just called them, and then they forsake all and follow him. They leave their boats, they leave their nets, their work, their family, their wives. For some of them, that part might have been a little bit easier. But in any case, they left everything. And you wonder, what did it? Like, you had a pretty decent life going on, but something changed. Something compelled you to leave all of that behind and follow this guy. Like, you can only imagine, you know, whenever they told their families they're leaving, if they even said goodbye, you know, they're probably wondering, where are you going? I, I don't know, I'm going with some guy. Some guy? Like, which guy? He <laughs> might be the Messiah. He seems pretty special. Right, where are you going? We don't know. We just said to follow him. So we're going to follow him. Right? And so it seemed like this was quite absurd whenever you, you see this in the gospel, especially in the gospel of St. Mark, where Jesus just walks by, he calls them, follow me, and they leave it all behind and they follow him. And that never really made sense to me, but it comes together in the gospel according to St. Luke, where you see that the reason they left it all was because they tasted the sweetness of his presence. They experienced life with Christ. Like they got a taste of that. And that's what this catch of fish was all about. For them, they tasted that life with Christ is extraordinary. It's, it's not this boring, lame, casual relationship. Like they experienced something special. Like something transcendent. Like they all knew what just happened now was not like any other ordinary day. And so, in a sense, in order for us to walk with God, there has to be a reason. Like we have to have a motive. Like something must compel us to put in the work, to follow Him, to go into the unknown. Right? And we all know if it's not worth it, we don't do it, right? Even if you know that it's good, if it's not worth it for you, you won't do it. And if, if I ask for a raise of hands here, how many people think that diet and exercise is good for you? Everyone's going to say, sure, it's good. But, but if I say, keep your hands up if you actually do it, <laughs> I'm willing to bet half of the hands would go back down. Why? Because for many of us, Sure, it's good, but it's not worth it, right? And because you might not think it's worth it, you don't eat healthy, you don't go to the gym, you don't go on daily walks or whatever, right? And that's a different conversation for another time. But in any case, you only put in the work if it's worth it, right? And for the disciples, they experienced something that compelled them to give it a chance, to give this guy a try. Like, let's just walk out. I think this is gonna be worth it. Like, what just happened was 
beyond any ordinary experience. I think this is going to be worth it. Let's leave it behind and follow. But again, that only happens if you give him a chance. And so Christ demands that from us. If you notice what Christ tells Peter, he says, go out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. In a sense, what he's telling him is, give me a chance to prove to you that I'm worth it. And, and in a sense, that's the humility of God. That God comes down to our level and has to like bargain with us, has to negotiate with us. Okay, just give me a chance. I'll prove myself to you, even though he doesn't need to prove himself. But he's telling Peter, just give me a chance. Trust me, it'll be worth it. Go out into the deep. Let down your net for a catch. What do you mean, let down your net for a catch? We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. We already packed up. We've cleaned our nets. And, you know, it's not easy to clean your net again. It's not easy to get your boat ready again. If anybody has gone fishing before, you know that it's a hassle. Like, whenever you get back and you dock and you start cleaning, the last thing you want to do is put it all together, go back out, and go through the same process again. So this was totally illogical. And for a fisherman, he knows that, you know, this is just not the day. Like, the fish are not out today, but it's fine. It's just not one of those days. And you're telling me to go into the deep. Like, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. Right? So like, you stick to putting tables together. Let me worry about the fishing, right? And trust me, I've tried, we've toiled all night. I'm exhausted. You're telling me to go back out there? There's no way. But again, give me a chance. Just try. Give me a chance. Go out into the deep. It seems irrational. It's unreasonable. I know that it doesn't make sense, but just give me a chance. Go out into the deep, and I know there are no fish out in the deep, but typically by the shore where fishermen typically fish. And this isn't like the ocean where you go deep sea fishing. This is the Lake of Gennesaret. If you ever go to a lake, you don't see boats in the middle of the lake. They're always out by the shore. But again, give me a chance. And this is what Christ demands from everyone. The willingness to give God a chance is typically irrational. Right? That demand is an illogical demand. Think about when he went to the Samaritan woman. He says, just give me a cup of water. What do you mean? You're a Jew. How am I going to give you... A, I shouldn't even be talking to you. <laughs> just trust me. This is going to go somewhere. Give me a chance. I don't need the water, but I'm trying to get you engaged. Right? Whenever he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he tells the people to roll away the stone from the tomb. Imagine. This body is laying in this tomb for four days. It's rotten, right? Like, you can only imagine the stench that would hit you in the face when you start to roll away this stone from the tomb. But he knew that the, the guys that went to roll away the stone from the tomb would experience the intensity of this miracle more than anyone else. They will taste the, the wonders of this miracle because they 
would realize how dead this man really was. Like he wasn't just dead, he was rotten dead. But again, just go roll away from roll the stone from the tomb and you'll see what will happen. To them, they experienced God more than anyone else because they saw how bad it was. So when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was more extraordinary for them than anyone else. And that's why after this experience, Peter tells him, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Like, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And that's all because he gave him a chance reluctantly. He said, I should have given you a chance without thinking twice. I remember throughout my childhood, I had this icon of the disciples pulling the net out of the, the water with all the fish. And this verse right under the icon, it was up on my wall right next to my closet. And all I had under the icon was, nevertheless, at your word. That's it. Just nevertheless, at your word. So it always reminded me that after a long day where like, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, the last thing I want to do is open my Bible or open my Isaiah and pray. It doesn't make any sense to just stand there and exhaust myself anymore. But I would look at that and say, nevertheless, actual word, I'll spend some time with you. And that, that would be like the source of my conviction every night. I would go back home and just whenever I'm ready to crawl into bed, like don't talk to me, I'm exhausted, I would see that. And I would remember, yes, it doesn't make sense, but it's worth it. I've toiled all night. I've spent the whole day working, dealing with people, whether it's service or just drama or just work as a physical therapist and how hard it is to keep that schedule going. And I'm tired at the end of the day and I would see that and it would convict me. So that conviction defies all reason. Because when you're convicted, regardless of how much it makes sense, you're willing to take that step. And, and we have to allow God to convict us. When, when God convicts us, we open our heart and say, okay, it doesn't matter how much it makes sense or how little it makes sense, I'm willing. If we give God a chance, we experience His presence, and that serves as our fuel to follow Him. God doesn't expect us to follow Him if we haven't tasted His sweetness. And then, I guess that's comforting too, because God doesn't expect the... God doesn't expect what is beyond our capabilities. Right? That's why He says, I'm going to give you the, the sweetness you need to continue following me. I'm going to give you the experience you need to stay with me. Right? But again, we have to give him that chance. You remember whenever Jesus went to appear to say for sure? He went, you know, 
carried him up the mountain and this and that. All of the monks missed him, brought him back, and he washed his feet. Right? We all see the icon of Saint Pashoy washing Jesus' feet. But what we don't know, this is a part of the story that typically we don't talk about, is that after he washed his feet, the disciples of Saint Pashoy, the other monks, came by a little later. And he told them something totally irrational. That I want you to drink from this water. So you know that this water was the water from washing people's feet. Right? Like, and trust me, back then, it wasn't like our feet, like, you know, our feet might stink a little, like after you've had a long day, you get a little sweaty. Like, no. <laughs> Their feet back then, like, were pretty bad, right? Because they had little sandals that would get like real dirt in their feet and in between their toes, all of that scum. I know it's nasty to think about, but this is the water that would wash down from people's feet and in this bowl. So he's telling his disciples, drink this. <laughs> like, if that's me, you couldn't pay me to drink that. <laughs> and so they said, no way. Uh, we'll pass. And they left. A little bit later, he got up, walked after them. He said, this is an ordinary water. And he explained to them where this water came from. So they turned around and said, I'm not just going to drink it. I'm, I'm going to bathe myself in this water. So they ran back, but unfortunately it was gone. It disappeared. Because their opportunity to experience God slips through their fingers. Right? God always gives us an opportunity, but that opportunity is presented to us in the most irrational ways. Someone offends you, God tells you, forgive them. Forgive them and pray for them. What do you mean? That's totally irrational. Do you know how many times they've betrayed me? Just turn the other cheek, forgive, pray for them. Trust me, you'll experience a grace that you can't imagine. And that's going to be the grace that fuels you to continue walking with me. The grace of love. The grace of service. Just take that extra mile. Walk with someone the extra mile and see what that grace will do to fuel your heart. And so, we have to give God a chance to experience Him and allow that experience to fuel our whole life together. Even if it doesn't make any sense. As irrational as it may seem. That's why in a sense, obedience serves as the foundation for our spiritual life. Without our ability to say, Father, I'll try. I'll give it a chance. Father, I'll forgive this person. Father, I'll pray for this person. Father, I'll go the second mile. I'll give this a chance. I'll give this a try. Without that, we continue living this autonomous life based on our own will and what satisfies us. St. John Climacus says, Obedience is the burial of the will and the resurrection of humanity. Without this obedience, without bearing our will, we persist on doing what we want, and we don't open our hearts to God and give Him a chance 
to convict us, to challenge us, to present us with an opportunity to taste his sweetness, the same way that he did for Peter. What if Peter said, I know what's good for me. This is going to be a waste of time. Peter would have never been Peter. He would have stayed Simon. Right? But because he had the willingness to obey, even reluctantly, he just buried his will. So I'm telling you, even if your obedience is reluctance, God will use it. How beautiful is that? If you don't have to have the faith of Abraham to say, yes, I'll do it. Right? Abraham woke up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with Isaac. Like, he was eager to obey God. If you're not there, that's fine. If you're complaining about it like, Peter, I toiled all night, this is not going to work, but okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. That's enough. God will use that. God will work with that. I'll leave you with a beautiful story about how this can truly transform our life. There was a priest who lived in Jordan a while ago, and he was famous for the level of holiness and the amount of miracles he performed. Everybody knew that this man was holy. Like they would bring the sick and he would heal them. They would even bring their sick animals and he would heal their animals. He would prophesy like this man was a saint living among them. And so he was very simple. He had a very simple practice of you know, praying liturgy, fasting, serving people. And his custom when he would pray the liturgy is that he would rise early in the morning and eat like a little piece of bread, like a little piece of toast, and a little cup of tea. Okay. And then he would pray the liturgy, and after the liturgy, he would fast for the entire day. He wouldn't eat at all. That was his custom. Wake up, say his prayers, little tea, little piece of bread, and then go pray liturgy, take communion, and fast for the rest of the day. Now, the patriarch heard about this, and so he called him over. And he wanted to talk to him, ask him why he's not really following the tradition of the church. Right? This is a very simple monk, right? very, very simple. So he goes and he's sitting in the area where people wait to meet the patriarch, like the waiting room. And so there are a few other monks and priests that are sitting along with him in this room. And at this time, it was very hot. Right? So he takes off his, his robe. Um, you know, he had, like, uh, you know the Faragaya, you wear over your, your Galabaya. He takes that off, and he sees that there was a beam of light that was just shining through the shutters in the window, right? And so to him, he thought this was just a rope, right? There's this beam of light just shining through the window. He thought it was a rope, so he just takes his Galabaya and hangs it on this light, and it just stays suspended on the light. Everybody else sees this, and of course, like, their jaws drop, like, what is going on? Like, there's, there's no way this guy just put his robe on a beam of light like it's a hanger. 
But anyways, they go into the, the patriarch, they tell him what just happened, he says, okay, just call him in. Calls him in, and you know, he starts to talk to him, and he says, like, you know, how do you live your life? What do you do? This and that. He explains to him, you know, I, I do this in the service, I do that, and I pray liturgy, and you know, I have this routine. He says, okay, tell me a little bit about your routine. What do you do? I wake up in the morning, I, I pray, I have a little cup of tea, a little piece of bread, a little toast. And then I pray the liturgy, I receive Christ, and I continue to fast for the rest of the day. He says, why did you do that? He says, well, you know, I, I like to actually have my physical food come into my stomach first, so that settles at the bottom, so that when I receive Christ, I receive communion, and he enters my stomach, he's at the top. So he has the most superior position in my body. Like, he's above all of my food. Because so I, I want Christ to be in the most superior position in my life. So of course, like, his rationale is very simple and pure, very innocent, like a child, right? But, you know, the picture tells him, okay, yeah, that makes sense, I get it, <laughs> but that's not the practice we have. So, you're supposed to fast without eating at all after you take communion. Then you can go break your fast, and then after you, you eat, you can continue with your day and go out and serve and so on. Now, imagine this pure, holy priest listening to this patriarch telling him to change his discipline, which is clearly working. I don't think anybody could argue that. We know that what he's doing is working very well. Like, he's healing the sick, he's hanging his robe on a beam of light like it's a hanger. This is a very holy man. So, if that was me, I would tell him, trust me, I know what I'm doing, and it works. Like, ever heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Like, that would be the first thing on my mind. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, trust me. Let me stick to what I'm doing. You can like guide somebody else, okay? Tell the next guy how to fast and pray and to worship in the liturgy and so on. But how do you think he actually answered? He said, sure. I'll do what you tell me. And that was the proof of his sanctity, is that he had no will of his own. I mean, here someone consent to an instruction like this, even though in his mind it will distort the order, right? Now I'm going to put Jesus at the bottom and the physical food goes above Jesus. He could have said that, but he didn't. So when he responds with obedience, you would think that this is what makes him holy. That's not the case. This is the proof of his holiness. Let me clarify, because that's a very important distinction, and I want to leave you with this. His willingness to comply was not what makes him holy. He was willing to comply because he already had no will of his own, and that was why he was holy. He lived his whole life unselfishly, just following God's word. God says, go serve this person, sure. 
God says, time to read? Sure. God says, put your phone away and spend some time studying? Sure. God says, you know, forget about your video games for a moment and help mom and dad with their chores? Sure. He had no will of his own. So that when it came time for him to follow the instructions of the patriarch, that humility, that obedience that already existed manifested itself in his compliance to say, sure, I, I've already been doing whatever God tells me, so you telling me to do this or that is not going to change the way I'm living my life. I pray that we just give God a chance, allow him to enter our hearts, so that we can experience him, because that's what will transform our life. If we just allow him to present us with that experience, I promise you, our whole life will change. If we follow in the footsteps of the disciples, not only will our lives be changed, but the lives of everyone around us will be changed. And to God is to our glory forever. Amen.